This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MOB Pipelines, Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. Jonathan from Fort Myers today as he continues his uh, Florida travels. Jim back in his home office in the suburbs of Chicago. A lot to get to on the podcast this time. We're going to make our picks for the 2018 season. I know we all put a lot of thought and study into that, so that's how we'll finish things up. We'll talk about prospects that, with a week to go until opening day, either are locks to make the big league club or certainly have a good chance of getting there. Uh, We'll also talk about some of the players that Jonathan has visited with this week, and we'll hear from them, guys like C.J. Chatham, Isan Diaz, and J.B. Bukowskis. Uh, But before we get to all of that, how about a player who will not be on the opening day roster of the Atlanta Braves? That is Ronald Acuna, who's been sent down to the minors. Uh, He won't be there for long, Jim, and we've seen teams do this. Um, more so maybe in recent years than in the past. Chris Bryant, I think, is the famous one back in 2015 because for some reason it, it kind of got more traction than, than anybody else. But Acuna, as soon as he's ready, as soon as the team's ready in mid-April, we can see him back in Atlanta, right? I, I would think so. I mean, look, I mean, this isn't a talent decision. I mean, Ronald Acuna jumped from Class A, high Class A to AAA last year, tore up every level, got better, Every time he moved up, went to the Fall League, tore up the Fall League, MVP of the Fall League. I personally put almost no weight in spring training statistics, but there's certainly no evidence you could derive from Acuna destroying the Grapefruit League that he's not ready. And I don't think you can make the argument that, oh, we don't want to put too much on his plate too soon because there was really no need to have him in AAA as a 19-year-old last year, and it certainly didn't phase him. So, I mean, it's strictly about putting him in the minors long enough to so he doesn't collect a full year of service time and then they can keep you know it essentially winds up being 6 and 90% of a seventh year before he become a free agent rather than just six full years right off the bat and you know i mean the knee jerk reaction and you see a thousand of these stories every year when it happens to whether it's chris bryant or, or ronald acuña is oh this is terrible it's awful and to that i would submit but even if you're, I mean, personally, would I love to see him in the majors right now? I, I would, and I think he could handle it. But if you're a fan, or, or I mean, if you're a Braves fan, you should be happy because this means it keeps the cost down for him. It's the absolutely right move to make from a, a business standpoint if you're running a franchise. And there are rules that benefit players, and there are rules that benefit teams. And this is one that teams can use to their advantage, and there's no reason they shouldn't. I mean, from a, a pure you know, having the best players on the field standpoint, yeah, it's disappointing. But honestly, I mean, this is just another example to me of, you know, you mentioned Chris Bryant, Tim, and that happened before the current CBA was negotiated. And there was a lot of gnashing of teeth and, and some Scott Boris quotes and, and all that back then. And the union, you know, came out in the new CBA and gave the, the owners a international spending cost certainty that the owners really wanted. And the union got personal chefs in the clubhouse 
and an extra seat on spring training buses where veterans don't even ride those buses too often to away games anyway. I, I just think, you know, this has been an off season where everybody's been upset about the free agent market and all that. And, uh, you know, I just think the union needs to look at itself and say, you know, basically, we gave away the draft two CBAs ago, and we gave away international this CBA, and we really didn't get much in return. So instead of getting upset about these things, why don't you negotiate? I mean, it's very akin to me. I mean, this is almost like as long a rant or maybe longer than me talking about uh, courtesy runners on, or extra inning runners on second base uh, in the minors. But, it, you know, it's like in the NFL. Is it, is it ludicrous that Roger Goodell gets to impose punishment, and then if you want to appeal it, you appeal to Roger Goodell, and then Roger Goodell decides if Roger Goodell was fair when he made the first decision? Yeah, that, that's really stupid. But you know what's even stupider? Is that the players agreed to that in their collective bargaining agreement. So, um, anyway, there's my long-winded answer. It's a shame from a pure baseball standpoint, but from running a team standpoint, the Braves would be silly if they didn't send them down to the minors for at least two or three weeks. Jonathan, from a competitive standpoint, there's a little bit of a difference here between Brian and Acuna as well, just because when you think back to 2015, there was a pretty good feeling around that spring that that was going to be the year that the Cubs got things going. And sure enough, they did, uh, and they got back to the postseason that season, making it all the way to the NLCS. Whereas still feels like the Braves, while they talked during spring training about surprising people this season, they're still at least a year away, you would think. So competitively for the Braves on the field, it seems like this won't matter as much as Brian could have. Well, first off, that was awesome because I like drove all the way from Fort Myers to Sarasota <laughs> in the time I took Jim to answer that question. Um, so thanks for that. I stopped and got something to eat. I think that that is true. You know, even if the Braves are going to surprise some people, and I could see them being one of those teams that uh, is more competitive more quickly than some people thought. I just think that means they're going to be a, a much more interesting team, the kind of team that, you know, the National League doesn't want to necessarily play. Uh, and you won't really know whether or not they're going to be that kind of, you know, I don't know, Minnesota Twins-ish surprise playoff contender. Uh, by that, until much later, by that time, Acuna will already be up. So, yes, that, that works in their favor. The fact that he's only 20 works in their favor and that he did play a bunch in AAA, but it's not like, you know, he's not that far removed from being a, an A-ball player. I agree with everything that Jim said, though, in terms of the financial reasons for it. And that, if you're a team yet, there is no reason for the Atlanta Braves to break camp with Ronald Acuna in their outfield. There is literally no real reason that I could think of, unless you were sure, like you said, like it was me, the Cubs, that you were going to compete. And and even then, it didn't really hurt them. And they're going to have Chris Bryant for basically an extra year as a result. Yeah, so if you're going to go by past examples, they certainly haven't uh, done anything to convince teams to do anything differently, for sure. All right, so that's something we'll keep an eye on. The, the date, I think it's April 13th is the earliest that he can come up um, and still have that benefit for the team. We'll keep an eye on Acuna, though. And I know everybody, Braves fans, everybody around baseball is excited to see him on the big stage. All right, Jonathan, the Florida Travels continue as you literally are traveling right now, as you said, between Fort Myers and Sarasota. Uh, you've made some different stops. Uh, West Palm Beach you made it down to, Astros, and uh, you got Marlins, Jupiter, 
the Red Sox in Fort Myers before today when you were with the Twins. So we're going to talk about some of these players. Let's start with Astros camp, J.B. Bukoskis. You spoke to him about a lot of things, but let's listen to his thoughts on his offseason, how it was a little bit different, uh, also working on his changeup a lot, and just an overall plan for Bukoskis. Here's J.B. Um, I mean, I think the workout routine is a little bit different. Um, Got to get ready for a much longer season. Um, the throwing, throwing program building up to getting ready to get on the mound is a little bit uh, more rigorous, a little bit longer. Um, but other than that, I mean, I kind of took the same mentality, just want to prepare for and be able to do the best I can this season. So um, same kind of work ethic, maybe a little bit different different schedule, but that's about it. What kind of things have you been working on just in terms of on the mound and, and, and how you go about that? Uh, we've been working on the changeup a lot, just throwing it a lot, getting really comfortable with it. Um, so other than that, just getting built back up, get the arm strength built back up, um, like a little bit more fine-tuning the slider or stuff like that. So um, just working on everything overall and trying to be ready for the season. So. Since your high school days, you've had a very clear idea of what you wanted this to look like from reclassifying to mm -hmm. you know, finishing early. And, and most people do that so they can get into the draft. But you're like, no, I'm doing this. And yeah. from where you stand right now, I would imagine, yep, this is pretty much how I drew it up. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> um, coming out of high school, I mean, there was definitely some thoughts uh, going into the draft then. But I was really mostly just like, I'm going to school. So um, if there were perfect picture drawn up I think this would probably be about it I mean went to great school and then ended up getting picked by a great organization now I mean there's another another couple steps to it but I'm um, just trying to do my best to make it up to it as far as prospect rankings this is the highest guy we're going to hear from on this podcast uh, Jonathan what stood out to you from JB well you know I had actually spoken to him last year before the the draft and uh, was impressed then just and it's not just him. I think a lot of draftees, uh, you know, and Jim and I think constantly are talking about how impressive or how polished guys are. But not just, you know, and for, for Bukowskis, not just polished in terms of how he conducts himself in an interview, well, that he was very good, uh, but more polished in terms of knowing who he is, what he needs to do, and what he wants to uh, accomplish. Uh, you know, he has a very good sense of, of who he is as a pitcher, how far he's come from his high school days. Uh, this is a guy who reclassified uh, to graduate early, not to enter the draft, but so he could get started on his, his college career at North Carolina. That interview at the very end, you know, we were talking about how this is pretty much how he drew it up when he made that decision. Uh, you know, and yes, he had that half a second of, well, maybe I should consider the draft because he – his name was moving up because he was throwing much harder in it that last year of high school, but he stuck with what he wanted to do, and he came out as a first-rounder three years later, and it's really worked exactly how he designed it. Now he's just got to go out and do what he needs to do in his first full season to show that uh, that he can start, uh, that he can hold up over the course of a long season in all those innings. Uh, he did fade down the stretch in his last year at North Carolina. He was well aware of that and hit his off-season you know, uh, regimen uh, accordingly. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see what he does in this, in this first full season. And while he is not Lance McCullers Jr., uh, the Astros have experience with a guy who was an undersized right-hander who threw hard that a lot of people thought might profile as a reliever. Uh, and let him develop as a starter and got him to the big leagues as a starter. So I think that will actually serve the Astros well in terms of 
uh, informing how they, they handle Bukowski's moving forward. Jim, the Astros, when you look at their rotation, and obviously there's a team with a young core that's ready to win now, but Keuchel's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Verlander, I believe, the year after that. So timing-wise, to add more frontline starters, this seems like it's going to work out pretty well if Bukowski can get to the majors in a couple of years. Yeah, you, you never have enough pitching, um, enough starting pitching. I mean, I, I do think, you know, Jonathan, you know, everything he said I, I agree with, and I would, like I would with any premium arm, try to develop him as a starter. I mean, there are a number of scouts who think he might be a bullpen guy in the long run because he's not real big, and it's, you know, there's effort in the delivery, and he relies on the on the slider heavily. Um, I also don't think it's out of the, the realm of possibility that we see him get to the big leagues as a reliever. I mean, I, I do think, I and mean, they're not going to do this, if, if you were to just stick him in the bullpen right now and say we're going to develop him as a reliever, I think he could be perhaps ready. I mean, the, the pure stuff's good enough where you could maybe use him at the end of the year. I mean, I, I remember sitting at Game 5 of the World Series with my, my son, who's my oldest son, who's a huge Astros fan, and thinking – Man, they could use J.B. Bukowskis right now because they, every guy A.J. Hinch was bringing in was just getting hammered, and they still managed to uh, to win the game. But it's, I think you develop him as a starter. I also I think there's a lot of merit, and maybe it's because I grew up and the Orioles were the closest major league team to where I grew up in Northern Virginia, and Earl Weaver had a lot of success bringing starters to the big leagues, but breaking them in as middle relievers, and, you know, kind of easing them in where they get, you know, like maybe 100 or 120 innings, but not, you know, back then it was probably, you know, like 250 inning workload if you were full season as a starter, and it was a way to kind of get guys acclimated and then turn them loose as a starter. They did that with any number of guys, and, and maybe that's the path they take with J.B. Bukowskis, too. But it, I, I would do definitely do what they're doing. If you can get, make him a starter, that's great. I do think that what's nice about him is if he has to be a reliever in, I mean, Jonathan, we hear this all the time. We're going to start hearing it when we start doing really diving into the draft in another week or so. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I think that guy's a reliever, that guy's a reliever. I mean, you hear that about almost every pitcher. You know, you have some scout telling you that the guy might want to be a reliever. Well, in Bukowski's case, if he's a reliever, he's a closer. We're not talking about a guy who's going to pitch the seventh inning. If he has to go to the bullpen with that fastball-slider combination, even if it didn't play up at all, which it should theoretically in shorter stints, he's got closer stuff right now. So he's one of those guys, and there's probably a ton of these, that I'm very curious to see, uh, to see how he does this year in his first full season of professional baseball. All right, Jonathan, at Marlins camp, uh, you got a chance to sit down with Isan Diaz. He talked about, well, the fact that he's been traded multiple times now, but he's hoping to settle in there with Miami and also with a, a tough 2017 season. Here's Diaz. They had some questions, you know, obviously, and I, and I helped them out as well. Uh, you know, Brinson, obviously, another guy who was traded twice, so he had a lot of intel as well. So, you know, we kind of spoke to him and, uh, you know, kind of just let him know, you know, hey, an organization, you know, now it's just kind of to, you know, be yourself and, and, and go out and play. Um, you know, but uh, my, uh, Monte, he's, he's, a, he's, a good, he's a good guy. He knows how to take care of himself. He, he knows how to adapt really fast. So, you know, I'm pretty sure he, he's had no problem so far. So. so last year, I would imagine you'd look back and said, all right, well, that didn't, that didn't go exactly the way I kind of had drawn it up. I guess, you know, the simple question is what happened? And more importantly, you know, what did you take away from that in terms of knowing how to progress from there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, last year the most important part was for me was the mental side of the game. You know, it was it was very tough for me, um, you know, kind of felt, you know, like I was just getting beat down every day. It was just kind of just destroying the whole mental side of the, of the game, um, you know, but it was a learning progress, a uh, learning process. And, uh, 
you know, one that I've never been through before. So, you know, now I know, you know, kind of how to handle certain situations and, and kind of try and, how to, and get out of certain slumps and, and stuff like that. So it's been good. Um, you know, the process last year, you know, trying to put that away, you know, and not trying to remember too many parts of it. But, you know, really take on the good ones and, and, and try and bring it over to this year. It's funny. He said, you know, even though he gets traded, he, he meets new teammates in each place he's been, Jonathan, and uh, he keeps those connections, which obviously you see these days. But even though he is no longer a Red Sox, he still has uh, friends in that organization and as well as, as everywhere he's been. But seems like an easy guy to get along with. Yeah. Uh, again, another impressive kid. You know, he born in Puerto Rico and uh, moved to Massachusetts when he was three or, three or four years old. One of my most fun parts of that interview is like, yeah, if I had been older, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have made that move. But he knows how to play in cold weather. So you know, when he went to the Midwest League, uh, it was not difficult for him like it is for a lot of other young players from Puerto Rico or the Dominican. Uh, and I think last year with his struggles, I mean, this is a guy who's going to hit. He hit for power. You know, he, hit, he hit really, really well. And, uh, and then when he hit full season ball, he hit 20 homers as a second baseman. And then last year, it just kind of snowballed on him. And he's a really, really confident kid. Uh, borderline cocky, which he often can, can work, but he never struggled. And I think what happened last year is he started to struggle, and he got stuck in that cycle of trying to get eight hits in every at-bat to, to pull out of a slump. And I think he's learned a lot from that. And I, I really think he's going to uh, going to bounce back and, and hit the way he had previously, uh, and, and sort of continue to, to fit that that profile. The offensive-minded second baseman can really hit from the left side of the plate. He's got power, and you know this is a guy who played some shortstop. He has a chance to be a good defensive second baseman. Also, uh, he's not a bat-only guy. You know, we're not talking Dan Ugly here, but uh, so I, I think it's all going to start coming back to him and, and in Marlins camp in general, I know people you know on the big league side are, are disappointed with all the trades and things of that nature, but there is an excitement on the minor league side because everyone there senses opportunity. Uh, you know, every young player knows that if they perform they're gonna move up and then they're gonna get a chance in the big leagues because of all the holes. So, you know, I think uh, guys like he start to you know reach the upper level, they know they have a chance to impact the big league club and that will serve as motivation. All right, and finally, C.J. Chatham at Red Sox camp. He's the Red Sox number 10 prospect right now, a shortstop, and most of the interview really surrounded around him coming back from the injury and how that's gone and, and his return to, to playing ball again. Here's Chatham. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, hamstring's fully healed. Uh, I've been running the base as well. I feel, you know, actually 110%. You know, there's no nothing holding me back right now with that. Um, and, yeah, it was just it was a tough, tough year that I had to go through, and, you know, I worked on my approach mainly and worked on mental hitting, hitting sound mentally, which has helped me out a lot going into this year. So you were saying your first three live ABs, you had to face Chris Sale. I mean, yeah, way to ease into your spring, huh? Yeah, yeah, and that's it's, it's kind of weird because it once after seeing him three times, you know, obviously it's a learning experience, let's just say that. And uh, <laughs> see, after once you see a regular you know, stop righty or, you know, it, it's almost like you haven't even seen any pitching yet because with his arm angle and what he does, he really does whatever he wants. And it's just, it, it was a good experience to, you know, see what it's like to go against the best. I read that uh, part of your, your rehab, you started doing Pilates. Um, was that something that you had you had done before or was that something that you, you came to because you, you needed to try to find something to, to sort of change how your body worked? 
Oh, it's funny because my my mom um, is with she's good friends with Zach Collins' mom, and we're good, we're pretty good friends. So uh, he he had gone to this lady and said it really helped. And his mom, you know, they talked, and my mom insisted on that go to her. And, I, and once I was there, I, I loved it, and it really like mobility. It, my mobility really, I feel like I'm a lot better after going to her. Jonathan, the best part about that I think was that facing Chris Sale, his first step at back minor league game, and here you go. Step into the box against Chris Sale. Good luck. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was actually just live BP. Even maybe I'm not sure if it was a game yeah. yet or but whatever it was. Just like yeah, and you know what do you do with that? And, I mean, it's a learning experience, but like it's not like you're going to pick anybody who throws like that. Uh, certainly not in the minors and pretty much not anywhere. But uh, you know, he has a good attitude about it all. He worked to improve his body. Big Pilates guy now. That will be part of his off-season regimen from now on, you know. But it's just to see him go out and play. And the Red Sox, you know, the injury bug hit their 2016 draft class quite a bit. Jay Groom, their first-round pick, barely pitched last year because of a couple different injuries. Even Bobby Dahlbeck had a hamate injury. So three guys in the top four rounds who missed most all large chunks of, of their first full season. So uh, for a team that's trying to restock the, the farm system. It's going to be important for those guys to, to turn in healthy 2018. Yeah, Chatham's an interesting guy, too, because I I, I think he's flown under the radar because he's barely played. He had a he had a handmade injury of his own that, that hampered him a little bit during his draft year and in his pro debut, and then because of the hamstring issues, he just played eight games last year. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who could potentially be a solid defender at short and maybe hit, you know, 270 with 30 doubles, you know, 12, 15 homers a year. You know, I, I think if he can stay healthy – we theoretically could, by the end of the year, you know, and depending if Michael Chavis gets uh, uh, promoted uh, this year and graduates, which, which may or may not happen. I mean, C.J. Chatham has potential to, to maybe be the, the best or, or second-best position prospect in the Red Sox system by the end of the year, provided he can actually stay on the field. Be something to watch for sure as he's sitting number 10 in their top 30 right now. All right, before we move on, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Spring training is rolling, which means it's time to think fantasy baseball. Yahoo is the best experience in the game, and you don't have to take our word for it because the Fantasy Sports Trade Association has rated Yahoo Fantasy Baseball number one five years in a row. If you want the stats and analysis to run your team like a big league GM or you want to draft, trade, and manage your team, Team right from your phone. Download the Yahoo Fantasy app today and create or join a league. It's so easy, it's ridiculous. Download the app or sign up at yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. All right, we talked a lot about Ronald Acuna, who will not be on the Braves roster opening day, but there are plenty of prospects who will be and who are making a late push to get there. Jonathan, you have a story up on MLB Pipeline about this right now. You go through a lot of players. I want to focus in on some of the locks and some of the guys that are getting close to being locks, but the higher-end prospects of the bunch. And, And you have four or three, I guess, big locks as far as top prospects. Shohei Otani with the Angels, obviously, J.P. Crawford with the Phillies, Jorge Alfaro also with the Phillies, and then Jesse Winker. Two of those three teams uh, are rebuilding. It makes a lot of sense. And the other one, obviously, Otani is a, kind of a prospect that we haven't seen before. But it's interesting about Otani because he's had t- such a tough spring. He's still a lock, obviously, his pitching still, the stuff looks great, even though the results haven't been there in the spring. But it's certainly not the, the spring training that I think the Angels were hoping for. No, no. You know, I saw him a couple times when I was out in Arizona. He, uh, I didn't see him pitch. I saw him hit. 
or I should say, saw him in the battery box because he didn't hit. I think he was just having a hard time getting his timing down. We'll see what happens when he gets out there, and it's all fascinating. We all want to see it work, but I'm very curious to see what happens. Let's say he's throwing pretty well, and it's July, and he's hitting 170. Do they talk to him about, even temporarily for the rest of that season, putting the hitting on the um, – on the back burner and forgetting about it and let him focusing on pitching, especially if they're contending. You know, and uh, Jonathan, I, I, without having had anybody with Angels tell me this, it's just my own personal belief. I actually think if that's the case and he struggles so much at the plate that he decides to focus on pitching, I think privately the Angels might be happy. I mean, I, you know, I kind of laugh. You know, I mean, everybody, not us, but I mean, there have been a number of stories about, oh, gosh, Otani's looked terrible. You know, he can't hit and, you know, he can't pitch and what the hell's going on. And, and you know, look, I mean, this guy is adjusting to a higher level of baseball than he's ever played. Yeah, I think Japanese baseball is better than AAA, but it's not as good as the big leagues. He's adjusting to an entirely new culture coming over to the United States, and he's trying to hit and pitch at the same time. It's not like, you know, if he was a hitter and he's struggling, like you mentioned, struggling to get his timing down, like it's not like he can focus on that, you know, however many, you know, 100% of his baseball time because he's also pitching and vice versa. I mean, I think what we've seen, we've seen flashes. The pure stuff has been pretty good, the fastball slider splitter. All, all can get swings and misses, and he's missed bat, or he's got a lot of strikeouts. He's also been hit hard when he hasn't commanded his pitches, but he hasn't been able to fine tune the pitching because he's working on the hitting, and it's the same thing. In, in, in BP, you can see the power, and in games, it hasn't translated yet. And I just, you know, we, we've talked about this a number of times, and, I, and you know, I, I say this every time. I mean, to sign Otani, you were going to have to let him play both ways, but I still think it's just so difficult to do both hit and pitch, or to do either of them, that to try to do both takes away from both, and it's going to be difficult. I, I still think he's, you know, I think he's going to be effective as a pitcher. We'll see as a hitter. I think it's going to be difficult. You're given that he had some swing and miss issues in Japan, um, and he's not going to be, you know, full time focused on hitting. I think he may struggle more at the plate than people expected, but he's still a tremendously gifted player. I'd still bet on him to be rookie of the year, but I just think this notion that you know he was going to come over here and immediately dominate as a hitter and a pitcher on day one uh, or from day one was a bit much. And, and like and this also, I think, has implications. I'll be very curious to see what the Rays do with Brennan McKay. Uh, you know, he's going to get the chance to do both, but what if he struggles at one or what if he struggles at both? Are, are the Rays going to make a call and have him focus on doing just one? Because, again, I think it's going to be difficult for Brennan McKay, as talented as he is, to make the adjustments he's going to need to make as a pitcher and a hitter and, and battle fatigue. I mean, he was a guy who was clearly, you know, as a pitcher, his stuff was down toward the end of last college season and the pro season is much longer. There's just a lot that goes into it. So, you know, I continue as a fan. I'm very curious to see these guys play both ways and see how it works. But if I were running a team, and I know you couldn't do this with Otani up front, I would really want these guys to focus on one. Yeah, yeah, so I think the biggest, you know, the biggest difference, just quickly on the K, is one he's doing it. He's going to be doing it, you know, lower levels of the minors, uh, while you know, not as many people watching. And two, he was amenable to doing one or the other. Right. Uh, he wasn't insistent. You know, as you pointed out, Otani was only going to sign with him that would let him do both. If the Rays said, we want you to hit, McKay would just be a hitter. I mean, I'm glad they're giving him a chance to do both and, and letting him sort of make the transition to pro game kind of on his own terms. But I think the second the Rays say, hey, you know what, we 
I think it's time for you to focus on one. He's going to be all in. All right, let's talk about the contenders because in a lot of ways it's more interesting guys that are battling for those spots and the situations they're in. Jonathan, you have four of them listed in the article. Uh, First off, Lewis Brinson of the Marlins, and to me – I don't know how you leave this guy off the roster. A, he's had a great spring. He's done it both offensively and defensively. He got some time last year with the Brewers up at the big leagues. Um, but then on top of that, you have a Marlins team that needs something for fans to be excited about this season, and this seems like the perfect guy to do that. Right, Jonathan? If it were me, he'd be a lock. But just because he had not, it hadn't been announced that he was making the team or it was you know, obvious, like in the case of Tony, I didn't want to quite put him there. Um, but he's, to me, as close to the lock as there's going to be. Uh, you know, there, there's even been stories about talking about where they, where, where he's going to hit in the lineup, and I don't think you have those kinds of conversations. If he's not going to be on the team. And, uh, they just need to let him go, and I think give him 500 at-bats or whatever and, and see how it goes. You know, I know there was some concern, swing and miss, and making adjustments. He didn't hit so much when he's been up in the big leagues previously, but small sample size, you know, this is, you can go and relax now. You tell him you're our opening day center fielder and you're going to play every day, uh, he's not going to have to go out and try to impress in every at-bat or every game. Uh, i like to see how that helps him because this is a guy who entered pro ball as a guy who was like swung at everything and really worked on his approach and then kind of regressed. So I'd like to see him get back to a little bit of the guy who had started to draw more walks and he can run and he's got power. I think it all adds up to exactly as you said, Tim, the kind of player that the Marlins can be really excited about when they need something to rally around this uh, this rebuilding season. It's a different situation, Jim, in Colorado. The Rockies made it to the wild card game last year. They want to get back to the postseason this year. And for a lot of the spring training, it seemed like Ryan McMahon made a lot of sense to be on that team, whether he fill in time at first base or a little bit in the outfield as well. But then late in camp, the Rockies go and, and bring back Carlos Gonzalez. And it seems like that has really put McMahon's status in question. And it really shouldn't. And, I mean, look, I mean, Jonathan and I love prospects as much as anyone. But at the same time, I mean, we're realistic about, you know, what it takes to major league team. But, like, okay, you sign Carlos Gonzalez, and that might push Ian Desmond back to first base. Objectively, if you're looking at this, and you're a team that made the playoffs last year and you're trying to win, why would you play Ian Desmond over Ryan McMahon? I mean, Ian Desmond had a horrible year. I know you gave him a free agent contract that's regrettable. He had a horrible year last year when you factor in Coors Field. Ryan McMahon had a tremendous year in the minors. He's basically hit everywhere he's gone, with the exception of a bad 2016 when the swing got out of whack and he made adjustments. Um, Ian Desmond, it's not like he's like a great first baseman either. He doesn't have a lot of experience at that position. And I said before, I don't put too much stock in the spring training stats. But you just from a general standpoint, Ryan McMahon has hit well in spring training, like Ryan McMahon tends to do. And Ian Desmond has looked terrible. He's got 18 strikeouts and 39 at-bats. I don't know if you were watching these guys on the field. You'd say, oh, man, Ian Desmond, he's locked in. I feel good he's going to bounce back because he's, he's got a 45% strikeout rate. That's awesome. Uh, so, I, I mean, again, you have you know veterans versus prospects who have options, and it's not going to look great if – Ian Desmond's on the bench with all the money he's making. But from a talent standpoint, there's zero question in my mind that Ryan McMahon's a better player and a better first baseman than Ian Desmond. You point out, too, he can definitely you know, play third if Nolan Arenado needed a day off. He you know, can fill in at second. 
He could, you know, they have a number of outfielders, but he could probably play outfield corners as well. So it's not like Ryan McMahon is like a first base only guy. Like I don't know why AJ Reed and Tyler White Astros popped in my mind to where you know you he can only play one position. Even if you know you don't play him every day, he's got all kinds of versatility. Uh, his bat would work well off the bench. Ryan McMahon, this isn't a team that's rebuilding. Ryan McMahon should make that club, but I agree. I mean, it's not a lock, but it should be. I mean, am I wrong here? I mean, what possible reason, based on merit, would you play Ian Desmond over Ryan McMahon at first base? I got nothing, Jonathan. I would vehemently agree with you. Yeah, he should. And I I always do, you know, as Jim said, you know, we start off by saying we love prospects as much as anybody. And I always check myself because of that and try to look at it from a big league perspective when it comes to trades and things like that because I'm always my first reaction is always like oh man why'd they trade that prospect that guy's good and then I have to think about it from the other vantage point and be like okay well now I now it makes some sense in this case the those two sort of perspectives should align with each other having Ryan McMahon on that team and in your lineup on a on a fairly regular basis should be the best lineup you can put forward uh, on any given day, and uh, you know, I think it'll it, it may end up that way, even if he has to go down to AAA to start the year. Uh, but I'm hoping because of his positional flexibility, he makes the team, and they don't say, "Well, we want him to play every day instead of not playing every day." Um, because I think if they move him, if they want to just move him around a lot, you could get that bat in the lineup on, on an almost daily basis if you're not going to employ him as your everyday first base. And I think that Ian Desmond contract is going to nag the Rockies for for a few years here um, as far as just being flexible and being able to move guys and get young guys in the lineup, definitely. All right, the other two guys you had for contenders, Jonathan, were Tyler Maley of the Reds, number five prospect, and the Brewers, number three prospect, Brandon Woodruff. I want to get to the predictions. We can go through these quickly. I feel like last year we went a little too in-depth on our big league predictions. Um, Sure to go wrong. We could probably throw that in there as well. The one thing that stood out to me in my brief thought process of coming up with who I thought was going to win divisions and wild cards was that there weren't there wasn't that much as far as interesting like, oh, this team could really surprise us. It just felt like, oh, these are the teams that were good in 2017. A lot of them got better. These other teams were bad in 2017, and a lot of them got worse. But I guess that's kind of been one of the themes of this offseason. So we'll start in the American League in the East I'm going to begrudgingly take the Yankees. Jonathan, who do you like in the American League East? How can you not take the, the Yankees? I mean, I guess if you worry about the pitching, but I am, I'm, going to, I'm going to take uh, New York as well. I'll take the Yankees too, but I will say I think you could pick the Red Sox. If you, adhered, if you were making the argument, you could say that there were a lot of things that didn't necessarily go right for Boston last year, and they still won the division when a lot of things went better than expected for the Yankees. And I mean, I know the Yankees have gone out and added Stan, but I'm just saying I think you could make that argument. And I really do think that that's the only division where I even thought for more than two seconds as to who I thought would win it. I, I really feel like the other five divisions are all pretty easy picks, and I don't like picking the team that necessarily won the division the year before. If I have two teams close, I'll usually lean the other way. But I don't even know how close I think any of the other division races will be. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And as far as the Yankees, I was tempted to take the Red Sox, uh, not just because I'm from Boston, but also because the pitching. I think that Yankees rotation, the bullpen's great. I think the Yankees rotation has a lot of question marks. But 
I just feel like playing against some not so good teams in the American League. They're just going to score so many runs that it won't even matter if the if the pitching raises you know has the question marks. That'll be a bigger issue come playoffs. All right. Hopefully we don't agree on every single pick here. Um, I'm going to we'll... go on a limb. I'll bet we agree on every single pick here. All right. Central, I get... But not in... wild cards, but I bet we, right. we all have the same five division winners. All right. So I'll just say this to, to get through this quickly. Can we all agree that the Indians will win the AL Central and the Astros will win the AL West? Yep. Yes. All right. We're moving on. All right. Now, wild card gets a little interesting, I think, in the American League. I went back and forth a bit. I'll take the Red Sox. I think that's actually going to be a battle for the division title in the AL East. The Yankees will win out, but the Red Sox will be close. I think the offense will be better and the pitching will be better, too. So I'll take the Red Sox, and then I'm going to go with the Angels. I've, every year I want to take the Mariners, and I think I did last year, and they just – they. They've had injuries this spring, which caused me to not to do. And then I wanted to take the Twins, but I felt like too much went right last year, Jim, like you were saying about things going right for a team. So I'll go Red Sox, Angels, hoping Otani gets things figured out. Uh, Jim, you're up. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, the only things I really debated when I was picking the, the 10 playoff teams were Yankees versus Red Sox. Well, I find it curious you think the Red Sox hitting and pitching will be better this year, and they won the division, but you didn't pick them. Um it was really picking you know, the, the the second wild card in both leagues. I, I think the Red Sox are you know as good a lock to win the wild card as anybody. And, and really, the only question to me is who's the fifth playoff team in the AL? I went with the Angels, also Tim. Not necessarily trying to align with you on all your wild card picks as well. I went with the Angels. And, you know, I, I actually did not pick the Twins for exactly the reason you said. I think a lot went right for them, and a lot of times you'll take a step back. I could see the Blue Jays, maybe you know, maybe the Mariners. But I went with the Angels, uh, you know, as that second wild card. Jonathan? Well, I'll differ here. Yay! Uh, the, <laughs> I mean, it, it's still picking the Red Sox to, to be the wild card uh, for all the same reasons. You guys were in. And I was kind of uh, between the Twins and the Blue Jays. Uh, and I'm going to pick the Twins. Yes, things went right for them. But they have this young core that, if you believe in their abilities, many of them have a chance to take a step forward. You get a full season of Byron Buxton, as the Byron Buxton we saw in the second half. We're talking, you know, a superstar caliber player. And then, you know, with a lot of the other younger players uh, and some guys in the minors that could make contributions at some point this year, I think uh, they're they're going to be right in the hunt and we'll have that, that second wild card. All right, on to the National League, and we'll try to go quick here, too. I'll say this. Uh, Nationals, Cubs, Dodgers for the division winners. I tried to convince myself that the Brewers might catch the Cubs, but it, it didn't last long. Uh, do you guys agree with those three as well, or did somebody have a 100%. different? 100%. Yep. This is quite a segment we have. Going. We, we, I hope we, we differ on the World we Series. We know what's going to happen. It's yeah. all it's all all unanimously agreed except for that. All right, wild uh, card, in wild the card in the NL. Yeah, wild card in the NL. I think is a little more interesting. I think there's more teams that can get involved in that. I ended up going with the Mets, hoping that finally the pitching stays healthy and Conforto comes back and hits. And I also went with the Rockies. I think they did more than the D-backs this offseason, and they'll be the uh, the better of those two teams out west. Jonathan, you can go first on these. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go all west and, and go with the the Rockies and Diamondbacks uh, as my two wild card teams. So you're just picking all ten playoff teams from last year. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. How about that? Oh well. Says the guy picking teams while driving that Interstate 75. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Jim. 
I've got the Diamondbacks and Brewers, so I, right. I feel pretty good about the Diamondbacks. I, I think they might even be a little bit better this year than they were last year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all kind of agreeing. I mean, I think the American League, I think we all have the same six division winners. We all think the Red Sox are a lock for the wild card. And then, there, you know, I think there's a little bit more uncertainty in the National League. Uh, I don't think there's a Red Sox-like fourth team, but uh, – you know, I mean, it's it's weird. I mean, I didn't, it's if the Red Sox were to repeat, I wonder when the last time that all six division winners repeated. Uh, I wonder if that's ever happened before. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'm sure that will that stat will come up in July, August, September. It certainly as it gets closer. If it's the case, all right. This we can. This could end up anywhere because, as we know, the playoffs are are a crapshoot, and and anybody that gets in okay, there can get hot and win it. So I'm going to go with, uh, and I'm just coming up with this now. I'm going to go with the Dodgers over the Red Sox in the World Series. Jim? I'm going to be really original here after giving Jonathan a hard time for being really original. And, uh, like, uh, I mean, stop me if you've heard this before, but I've got the, the Astros beating the Dodgers because I, I like the Astros having a full season of Justin Verlander instead of just a month. And Garrett Cole, I think they short up. Uh, their rotation, I really like it, and uh, I do think the Dodgers have the best balanced team in the National League. So I, I'm going to go with the very original Astros over Dodgers World Series pick. Jonathan, I too will pick the Astros to win the World Series again. Uh, I think uh, they are stronger, and they were already pretty, pretty darn good. So uh, I think they're going to win. And, and you know, I'll, uh, I'm going to decide that uh, the Cubs will make it back to the World Series, but they will fall short against Houston. All right. Well, not a lot of differences there, but it's still fun to do it, and we'll see what happens uh, as the season goes on. I will keep these in a safe place, and we can revisit at the end of the year. And I feel like we'll be pretty good. I don't, I don't think this is going to differ too much unless something crazy goes on in baseball, but that could happen. All right, great stuff as always, guys. Next week, uh, me and Jonathan will be at the National High School Invitational down in Cary, North Carolina at the USA Baseball Complex. We'll try to get a guest on from down there, one of those uh, great high school draft prospects that's going to be playing down in Cary. Uh, so that'll be a good one as well. But that'll do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.